Welcome to Radical Resilience, the podcast. I'm your host, Pega Kadkodian. Resilience is more than just learning to bounce back from adversity. It is both a spiritual and practical journey of returning to the essence of who you are. With Radical Resilience, life can throw anything at you, and no matter how tossed around you get, no matter how hard you fall, you have the ability to get back up and come home to yourself. Hear the inspirational stories of women who embody radical resilience and learn the resources you need to reclaim your passion, purpose, and power. So hello and welcome to another episode of Radical Resilience, the podcast. My name is Pega Kadkodi and I am your host. I am joined today by Ms. Giovanna Capozza, which we were just dialoguing about. It turns out I actually can pronounce that correctly. <laughs> You can. Not many people get that right. It's you said it like in the real Italian fashion. I love it. Because I used to be married to an Italian. And so maybe I just picked some things up from him. I'm not sure. That I'm sure that and we talked about that. I used to be sem- we'll call it semi married to an Iranian man. So I got the pronunciation of your last name, although I'd have to have it reminded. <laughs> Well, you nailed it when you tried it. That's awesome. So I'm so excited to have you on the show today, Giovanna, because you uh, have a really wonderful story of resilience as it pertains to a topic that I think many of our listeners can relate to, which is that of relationships. Mm, yeah. I can give you an official intro, of course. You know, Giovanna is a, a self-proclaimed relationship Sherpa, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> Help us understand what you mean by Sherpa. Yeah, you know what? I use the term Sherpa because I always tell my clients, you know what? I I have I might have all the gear and I might be a couple steps ahead of you on the mountain, but we're going up the same mountain. Um, I don't think that relationships is one of those things that you master in life, like, you know, maybe your tennis game or miniature golf, you know, like it's an ever evolving thing. You're always learning Uh, Just because I teach the stuff, it doesn't mean that I don't have my own relationship coach, right? Like I have my go-to people. I have a friend of mine who's a relationship coach. And when I get into my, you know, logger jams and, and communication issues and my stuff's coming up and I can't see that my stuff's coming up, like... We all have blind spots. And so I, I call my people. So I like the term Sherpa better than coach because I'm not a guru. I don't know more than you do necessarily on some topics, maybe yes, but we're all climbing the same mountain. So yeah, I like the term Sherpa. <laughs> you know, I'm right there with you. I always like to say to my clients, you know, I might be like five steps ahead because maybe I've just been studying this stuff a little longer or, you know, been on the path, you know, for, for a bit longer than you have. But That doesn't mean that uh, you are not totally capable of anything that I'm capable of and that I too am certainly, you know, practicing everything that I I teach. I like to say I I have to take my own medicine. And like you, Mm -hmm. you I have my own coaches and I'm a big believer in all people who are in this industry, whether they're coaches or Sherpas or therapists or mentors, you know, ought to have their own support system in place as well. So I'm, I am with you, sister. I, I love that. So tell us a little bit about that journey for you. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, when we were talking before we hit record and just hearing, um, you know, some of the stories of women that you've interviewed on the show before. And, you know, for me, I, I, I'm so honored to witness other people's resilience. I think as a human race, we've had to be resilient. We are resilient. Women in particular have this you know, special kind of resilience. I think the way we come back from things and, 
you know, heaven knows I've had to come back from things in my life as well. But in particular, in the relationship sphere, when I look back, I've, I've always been chasing the knight in shining armor. Um, even when I thought I was, you know, a raging, angry feminist who was like, I don't need a man. You know, I still deep down somewhere was kind of, you know, resenting the fact that I was wanting Prince Charming while simultaneously looking for him. And I didn't realize it until way later in life that all of my kind of, you know, as the song goes, looking for love in all all the wrong places really got me into one of the worst scenarios that I've ever been in. And so I just dove right into studying myself and studying relationships. But for me, um, I had to come back from a really insidious sort of abusive situation. And, And I say insidious because it took me probably a year to two and and even into three years to really start to see the extent of the abusive situation that I had put myself in with someone who was very, very controlling, uh, very narcissistic, very manipulative. He fancied himself some form of a Christian gray and uh, was trying to really um, have me sort of be molded and pliable in in ways of, of his world. And Um, For those of you that are listening that are fetishists and are into BDSM, I have nothing wrong with that. You can totally knock your socks off. It's a lot of fun to do in the bedroom with your loved one. But this was on the next level. This was a person who was really trying to make me be submissive as a person in the relationship. And there were several moments in the relationship that were really confronting to me. And I, I had to make a choice. And unfortunately, at the time, because my self-esteem and my sense of who I was was so low and that empty void and hole that I was trying to fill was so deep and so vast, I didn't even see the edges of it. I allowed myself to be in a situation that really started to take away my dignity. The person started to very, you know, day by day chip away at what I thought about myself. Um, and I eventually started to believe that I was unlovable. He repeatedly told me that I was too rebellious and I was unteachable and, you know, all the ways in which he said unlovable that weren't the word unlovable, you know. Um, and so it, it took a really long time. And in fact, I, I remained, quote unquote, friends with him for like almost a year uh, after we we broke up and I and I left the country that I was living in at the time and again didn't realize the extreme impact that all of that had on me until I started doing my own work with a coach uh, and therapist and I started to really realize that this really messed me up mentally. Well, I think it's great just to take a little time there and point out that sometimes, you know, when we're in a relationship that isn't overtly abusive in the way that we might. Like you said, it is insidious because we don't even really realize that it's happening because it's like little bits of us are being chipped away, to put it as you did. To really start paying attention to those things, if if it's starting to impact how we see ourselves. I mean, I just think it's it's wonderful to, to highlight that, you know, we can take for granted, you know, that we might be in a an emotionally abusive relationship and and not even know it. Absolutely. You know, one of the biggest takeaways that I have from that is if it doesn't feel right, it's not right. And I think for me, I questioned myself. I had so much self-doubt and I gave this person much more credit than I gave myself. When it didn't feel right, I thought, well, something's wrong with me. It must be me. It, 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 must, be, it must be my insecurities. It must be something that's wrong with me. It can't be him. And I've really learned that when it doesn't feel right, it's not right. Well, that's so good because I think so often as women, no matter how much we fancy ourselves progressive or feminist or forward thinking, you know, 
or evolved, it has been so heavily indoctrinated in us to immediately default to what's wrong with me. Yes. That just is our go-to uh, way of thinking. And it's, it's totally unconscious. We're not even aware that we're doing it until we have some hindsight and we can have some perspective and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I was making it all about me. I wasn't even seeing that there was actually something going on there that was terribly, terribly wrong. Yeah. And in the hands of the wrong person, in this case, someone who was very narcissistic, that can be used against you. And, you know, we have things called gaslighting where, you know, it's, it's, a, it is, it is, you are made to believe that it is about you. Um, and it takes a long time to unravel all of those things. And and for me, I mean, I had to dive into, first of all, I didn't, it wasn't until this relationship ended and the subsequent reaction that I had and the depths of despair that I, I dove into that I realized that there was something called love addiction. Uh, in fact, I had a coach tell me that I was addicted and I thought I laughed in her face. I thought, well, that's, you can't be addicted to love. That's crazy. I don't have a sex addiction and usually they're lumped together. And I was like, that's not, that's not what it is. Until I started actually doing some research and started realizing that actually there is such a thing. You can have it to the pathological degree where we've, you know, there's been movies made out of women that are pathologically love addicted, like fatal attraction. And then there's, you know, highly functional women who, like you said, consider themselves very progressive, even feminists, and yet find themselves in these situations where they are. Uh, you know, obsessing over the next relationship, or they're obsessing over the current one that they're in, or they're finding themselves, you know, really just not being able to get over someone, and just, you know, pining away, and they don't feel complete unless they're dating and all of these kind of scenarios. The women that I coach are highly successful women, like I work with women who are, you know, CEOs of companies that are in VP positions with lawyers, you know, surgeons, like women that are very successful. They're not, you know, according to traditional standards, stupid women, right? Which is where we get lumped in when we make uh, mistakes in our uh, love life. Like, oh, how can I be so stupid, right? I'm one of those stupid women. No, you can be a highly educated, very intelligent woman and find yourself in this lovesick is what I call it, spectrum of this love addiction cycle. And basically it all comes from this place of emptiness, right? And this place of I am not good on my own and I'm not enough and I need to be loved. And that's essentially what it was for me. Wow. I, I can relate certainly on, on many levels. I'm sure many of our listeners can can relate to that on some level. What did you do to heal from that and, and ultimately come back from that? In other words, you know, how how did you cultivate your inner resilience about this? Yeah, it's a great question. So the very first thing, like any addict, I had to uh, I had to get sober. So I um I put myself on a man talks. I couldn't speak about, right? When it came, it wasn't, it wasn't even just, I can't talk to them, date them, solicit their attention, which is a big, huge part of it. It was, I can't, you know, have that be the source of conversation with my friends. It can't be what we gossip about and talk about. I started to monitor how often I went out in public and I solicited somehow or was seeking the attention of a man and why I was doing that and what, you know, what was that for? I, I put myself on a complete and total man talks, which, which led to a relationship, you know, detox because I needed to get alone. I needed to get into the depths of myself and find out what was making this tick. And just like any good addict, every time I wanted to go back and, and take a sip, 
uh, I had to look, I had to find out what's going on. Like what, what is causing me to do this? Like, am I, am I feeling, you know, unworthy right now? Did something happen with work? Is something happening with family? Like, why is it that I'm reaching to this? And, you know, I went to the nth degree and I, I jokingly say that I became manorexic because I actually put myself on such a detox that I went way to the other end. And I did what a lot of women do, which is the whole, I don't need a man right? I got into that mentality and I hyper-focused on my career and I, you know, I just hyper-focused on fulfilling myself. And all the while I was really denying this deep yearning I had for connection. And I think that ultimately we're all built for relationship and that there's nothing wrong with that yearning. And so for me, I did this massive pendulum swing, right? I went from one end of the pendulum right to the other till I can find the equilibrium in the middle. And I had to work through a lot of shame. I had to work through a lot of shame that I had allowed myself to be in such a relationship. I had to work through the shame of wanting, right? As a card toting member of the feminist movement, right? Like I had to release the shame of yearning and wanting a man. Like, like there was something wrong with that somehow, you know? And I, I had to work through all of that stuff. Ultimately, I had to start doing things that put me back into alignment with myself. I had to address a lot of people pleasing. Ooh, Pega. So much people pleasing. <laughs> I had to address. Um, you know, I don't care what your addiction is. I don't care if it's cupcakes, men, shopping, women. Um, I don't care what it is. It could actually, you know, you could have an, an addiction to alcohol, drugs. There's something feeding it. There's something fueling it beyond the the chemical processes in the body that become addicted. And that emptiness and that void is what needs to be looked at. And the thing is, you can't see it until you take away the thing, right? When you take away the substance, whatever it is, and for me, occasionally it is, it is food, right? You know, even with food, when you go on detox and you take away the thing you can't eat and you're sitting on the couch and you want it, you're craving it. That's the moment where you have to sit back and say, what, what's going on with me in this moment? Like, what am I feeling? Why do I want to turn to this substance? Because I'm trying to fill a void. And that's very confronting. And I'm not a lot of people are willing to go there. I totally agree. In fact, you know, when I work with my clients, that is a big topic of conversation is, you know, yeah, we do all of the emotional healing work, and we release the the programming and the baggage. And there's still subsequent discomfort that comes up. As we look at, you know, patterns of behavior that have been so ingrained in us, that's just what's normal for us. And like you say, it can be very confronting. And so something that we talk a lot about, you know, is the ability just to sit in the fire yeah. and to say, this is really uncomfortable. And rather than reaching for that tub of Ben and Jerry's or, you know, the guy or, or whatever your vice of choice is, yeah, is <laughs> discomfort, you know, and say, wow, this is really uncomfortable. There's something going on here. There's some emptiness that I'm feeling. There's there's something that's asking me to pay attention to it. And instead of numbing it or distracting myself, can I really sit and face myself, if you will? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's tough work. And it doesn't happen overnight. Like it's not, um, you know, there's, I, I get interviewed a lot on podcasts and they're like, give us the five things or, you know, like there's no 10 steps, right? Like it's, yeah. it's a process. Like, you know, you're an onion. We know this through coaching, right? Everybody's an onion. We have layers and I'm still peeling away layers. And it's interesting too. Like there's, 
moment, there was moments early on in my current relationship where I would have a reaction and I would literally in that same moment go, oh my God, this is so interesting. This is nothing to do with him. This is residual, this person. And you, it's the willingness to be aware and to be kind and gentle with yourself and to have compassion mm-hmm. because there is no manual out there. <laughs> I love that you say that though, because I do think we live in a sort of quick fix society where it's like, just give me the five steps, give me the, give me the magic bullet yeah. and, or the magic formula to this. And it, even in my program, I have what's called the seven pillars of resilience. It's not like, oh, do these seven things. And now magically you're resilient. It's right. You're fixed. <laughs> Yeah, I always say like, look at these are the seven components that if you continue to do them, you know, you will cultivate more resilience. But it's not like, oh, yeah, we did it one and done. Boom. Magically, I'm a resilient person. No, it's an ever ongoing process. So I really appreciate you highlighting that it it takes time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I have to remind myself of that sometimes as well, because I, you know, we're in the work, we do the work. And I find sometimes we're the hardest ones on ourselves. We get impatient. It's like, oh, I already dealt with this issue with my mom. Why is it coming up again? Right? You know what? That was literally a conversation I just had with another friend of mine. You know, a lot of the, the guests on this show end up being in that sphere. And you're so right. You know, we get so hard on ourselves you know, so I just want our listeners to appreciate that, like, look, if you're not in the coaching industry, imagine being a coach, we're, we're 10 times harder on ourselves, you know, when we have to repeat a cycle. But the truth is like, yeah, you know, we, we, we come back to something and we go, really, again, I have to, I have to face this thing again. And it's like, yeah, you do. Again. It's life. You know what I mean? Like, yep, you're, you're, you're just going to confront it again and again until you, level up and then you'll probably confront a different version of yet the same thing, you know? So it's, well, that's a good thing to point out is that when you do come around again, hopefully, and for most people, this is the case, it might feel like you've gone backwards, but you're actually just looking at it from an elevated perspective. So our relationships are here to teach us that like every, including this one that I just talked about, that was abusive. Like I called that into my life. I made the decisions there. Yes, I can point fingers and say all kinds of things. And then there's the piece where I have to take responsibility for me drawing that in. And what was that? And why did I put up with that? And, and all of that, and not from a place of self blame, but a, a place of like, hmm, this is interesting. Why di- why did I make that choice? Why did I make that okay? Um, and being curious with yourself. And when you do see, as I did with this relationship that I'm talking about, um, patterns from the past, it's like, well, here's an opportunity. Your relationships are all an opportunity for you to heal something about your past. And you know, I just had a conversation with someone before you and I got on and we were talking about relationships at midlife. And we were both saying, you know, like we could not be in the relationships that we are now had we not gone through the crap we went through. So everything is there to teach you if you are willing to take it as a teacher. I'm so in alignment with that statement. I'm a big believer that everything happens for us as painful and Oh my gosh, sometimes unbearable as it may feel. So yes, kudos to you for having that perspective. And I always like to say, you know, for every one of my guests that comes on and has taken their hardship or their heartbreak and transmuted it into something, I love that you've turned your pain into your purpose. 
Mm, thank you. It's sort of one of those things of like, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> I didn't have a choice because life puts you through things and then you put yourself through things, right? I think there's a, a double thing that's always happening. I don't believe it's totally fated. I think there's a, you know, a destiny that comes into play, but destiny is some as a choice you make. And I didn't have a choice, but to make it what I teach, because I have always, if I go back and a lot of us can do this, if I go back to the beginning, I remember buying my first book on relationships when I was like 19, actually it wasn't even a book. It was a, it was a double CD set from, um, Harville Hendricks who is an amazing relationship coach. Him and his wife have been, they've created a whole system called Imago Therapy. I was 19 and I bought a dual disc CD on relationships. And I knew then that I was so passionate about relationships that I wanted a relationship, but I knew that I wanted to do it better and right, uh, whatever that means, um, because I didn't grow up with the best examples. And so if I look back, it's like, well, of course, I talk about this stuff all the time and love talking about it and teaching about it. And then, of course, I had to make these choices and go through the things that I went through in my life because that's the only way that you can really, really learn is through having the experience. Oh, so true. I always say to people, you know, when you make a declaration about what you want your path to be, like, get ready. <laughs> life is going to deliver you all manner of experiences. <laughs> For you to then be able to draw from, you know, so that you can really speak to those things authentically and from from your heart and from your experience. So you nailed it right on the head, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's just awesome. So you, you're now with yes. someone. You have a partner. Tell, t- tell us about that. Well, so we just recently moved in together, which is lovely. And I'm really excited about that. I can genuinely say I wouldn't have been able to call someone like this into my life had I not gone through what I went through. And not just had I not gone through what I went through, but had I not done the work subsequent to that, I could not have been with this person. He is, he's wonderful. I mean, we're the, we're the best of friends. Like, you know, you hear women say, I want my best friend. You know, it's, it sounds so cliche and kind of cheesy and people roll their eyes, but he really, really is someone that I can spend, you know, all my time with. If I, I mean, if I was going to say if I had to, which I have had to, <laughs> right. So we've been in quarantined. Um, I've been, I've, I've affectionately called my apartment. Uh, bunker number one, and then I called his place bunker number two. And so we had planned to move in before the quarantine and all that stuff happened. So um, it worked out perfectly. So yeah, he's just someone I can spend all my time with. I say one of the markers of a great relationship is that you can you know grow together and there's all these beautiful lofty things about values. And, and I really honestly also think it's someone who you can literally just watch paint dry with. Like, I mean, I can just sit in the same room with him and do absolutely nothing. And there's the sweetness and the, and the romance that I always craved. And there's the deep, deep connection. Um, there's just all the things that I ever wanted. And again, I wasn't the person I needed to be to attract that into my life. I had to go through the things that I went through. I had to learn about myself. I had to see all the ways in which, you know, essentially, if I'm really honest, the way I was using men in relationships to fulfill my needs instead of actually focusing on who do I want to be? Who do I need to be in this relationship and and to to be with the person that really truly fulfills me? And, you know, it's, it's there and it's wonderful. And, um, you know, we're starting a whole life together and I'm happy. And I, you know, I was saying to you before we hit record, it's, it's had me sort of, you know, assess all my priorities and all of, uh, all of those things. And, um, but it's exciting and, and really 
heartwarming to finally be in this place. If I'm hearing you correctly, what it boils down to, and again, not that it was like a five-step process, but what it boiled down to was really taking some time to get to know yourself, like to do the, the deep work of coming face-to-face with uh, some of what I like to refer to as our gremlins, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the past shame and the past hurt and just the past patterns that you were running and uh, ultimately clean that up so that you could step into who you are meant to be, who you really are, um, and and be available for something like this to come into yeah. your life. Absolutely. And I wanted to add to that too, because that, I mean, it, that is exactly what I, what I did and continue to do. And, you know, that sounds like a lot of hard work and doesn't, you know, I don't, since people are probably listening right now going, I do not want to sign up for that program. Um, <laughs> that was like too much work. But actually the, the flip side of, of that, you know, quote unquote, hard work was that I had to own my value. And actually I tell this story all the time because I was back on, you know, internet dating before I met my current partner. And, you know, I was going out on dates and talking to guys and, and I had started seeing this one guy and it was, he was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. He was the, turned out we had this amazing, you know, connection. We went on a couple of dates and then he started doing that like avoidant thing. And for those of you that are listening, there are different types of relationship or attachment mm-hmm. styles. If you don't know what yours is, you can definitely go to my website and take a quiz and find out. But this man was particularly an avoidant style. And he started repeating this same pattern of like, you know, kind of keeping me on the back burner, you know, holding out the carrot, only just giving me so much attention. And I started noticing that I was repeating similar patterns of getting anxious and like, what's going on? And how come he's not texting back? And like, you know, kind of hanging on to something that wasn't really there. And I have to say that this was the straw that broke the camel's back because number one, it didn't last as long as it normally would have lasted for. I didn't fall back down that rabbit hole. I nipped it in the bud. I caught it. And one of the biggest things that this time taught me, Pega, is to see my value. And once I understood what my relationship style was, and I understood, you know, that there, there was literally a science behind why I was behaving the way I behaved in relationships, I nipped this person in the bud and the situation. And I literally reached a point where I was sitting in my living room one day and I thought, you know what? It was almost like as I was talking to him sort of through the air, but I thought, you know what? You would be so lucky to be with me in a relationship. And it didn't come from a place of ego. It literally came from a place of, I finally understood what I had to bring and what I had to offer and what my value was. And literally it was like two weeks after that, that I met my current partner. And when I talked to him early on, you know, he had to get mm. to a place of understanding his value as well. And that was one thing we shared in common. It's like we had both had these awful experiences. We'd both had relationships we were extremely unhappy in and, you know, lots of drama and trauma and all of that. And then getting to the place of like, I'm totally okay. If I have to spend the rest of my life with just me, I'm okay. I understand my value and I'm not going to settle. And that's when he showed up. So I wanted to add that as well. It's not just you know, yes, it is the going into the shadows and the gremlins, but it's also just really understanding like, wow, like, you know, I'm awesome. You'd be so lucky to be with me. And that's fun. When you do that work, it's fun. It's not as, it's not as fun as the other work. <laughs> Almost sounds like, you know, I have, well, I, I'll just share with you, you know, personal story for me was I got to a place, you know, myself where I thought I, I went on a bit of a man talks and I was like, you know what? I'm going to start dating myself, you know, and just see what that 
feels like. And I would take myself out to, to dinners and I would, you know, basically engage in activities that I might normally do with a partner, but just with myself. And I even went so far as to do a self-marriage ceremony where I wrote down Love that. some vows to myself where I, I was like, you know what, I vow to, to show up for you in this way. And, and the intention was to just say, look, I, you know, again, to, to mirror what you're saying, um, I am truly madly deeply in love with you. And, and this is how I deserve to be treated. And I'm going to treat you the way mm-hmm. I, I believe I deserve to be treated. Meaning I was going to, I was committed to treating myself the way I, I wanted to be treated. So I, I just, love I love that, you know, that, that the thing, you know, what a great message to wrap with. So Giovanna, if our listeners do want to visit your website, take that quiz or, or find you, how do they do that? Yeah, they can go to GiovannaCaposa.com and the quiz is right there on the front of the page uh, about what your relationship style is and you'll find out what that is going through there. And then I'm on Instagram, Giovanna underscore Caposa. And there's also lots of different ways they can you know find me through the website as well if they um, want to speak or work together. I'll be there. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show, for your willingness to be open and vulnerable and share so freely. I know I totally benefited from the conversation and I'm sure our listeners did as well. So thank you. Thank you, Pega. I just love talking to you. You know, I love you. You're my, you're my girl. So I just so appreciated being on here and being asked. Awesome. So thanks again for tuning in for another episode of Radical Resilience, the podcast. We'll be back next week with another amazing guest. For now, from my heart to yours, with so much love, light, and aloha, namaste. I'm Pega Kadkodian. Thank you for listening to Radical Resilience, the podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Be sure to go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and rate. And remember to share this with all the amazing women in your life. Join us next week for another episode of Radical Resilience, the podcast.